At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. People often ask me, how do you do your research? And honestly, I wish there was a more exciting answer. Because the truth is, most research is pretty dull. Reading through mountains of dusty documents, hunting through hundreds of footnotes to find that one elusive fact. The real secret is what the Germans call Zitzfleisch, or sitting flesh. The sheer ability to park your rear end on a chair and endure a task, however boring. But every so often, something amazing happens during the course of research. A little gold nugget in the muddy stream. That actually happened to me with my most recent book, The Ice Pick Surgeon, in regard to the title character, lobotomist Walter Freeman. In the book, I focus on the professional side of Freeman, who performed 4,000 lobotomies during his lifetime, including many on children. His most notorious case involved President John F. Kennedy's sister, Rosemary, who spent the rest of her sad life trapped in an asylum afterwards. But there's another side to Freeman, the personal side, that I caught an unexpected glimpse of while researching the ice pick surgeon. I'd ordered a copy of a book written by Freeman, just to get a feel for his writing. I honestly didn't think it would be that illuminating or interesting. Boy, was I wrong. Because when I opened the book, the first thing I saw inside were several forgotten postcards, written by Walter Freeman himself. The postcards discuss Freeman's sons and daughters, as well as his beloved hiking trips across the country. They're an intimate glimpse into the private life of the most notorious doctor in American history. So today, I'd like to use those surprise postcards as a springboard into the dark personal side of Walter Freeman. Specifically, into the Oedipal battle at the heart of Freeman's life, which involved both contempt for his father and his failures with his own sons. In fact, one failure in particular, which resulted in the death of his favorite son, actually fueled Walter Freeman's massive, nationwide push for lobotomies and made him the pariah he is today. From the Science History Institute, this is Sam Keen and the Disappearing Spoon, a topsy-turvy, sciency history podcast, where footnotes become the real story. Walter Freeman's maternal grandfather was named William Keene. No relation. He was one of the most eminent neurosurgeons of his day. Keene invented several pioneering brain surgeries and treated three different U.S. presidents, William McKinley, Teddy Roosevelt, and Grover Cleveland, who had a cancerous jaw tumor removed by Keene. When Freeman was a teenager, he took a Caribbean cruise with Grandpa Keene, which included rugged horseback riding whenever they went ashore. They also visited the Panama Canal, which was then being constructed. 
Ordinary folks were not allowed to tour the site, but the famous Dr. Keene was allowed, and he took young Walter along. Freeman remembered being awed at how even military people fawned over his grandpa, and he always admired his grandpa for that. With Freeman's own father, it was a much different story. His father was a doctor as well, ear, nose, and throat. But his father was timid and feckless, and he actually hated practicing medicine. The father was constantly moaning and complaining about his patients, and he worked as little as possible. The only thing Freeman's father seemed to enjoy was camping, which young Walter also loved. But even when camping, his father could do no right. Because as soon as they got to a campsite, his father would disappear into the tent and spend the whole day just reading. Meanwhile, he would pay a guide to actually take his sons out into the wilderness. Walter considered this pathetic. Overall, Freeman scorned his father, especially compared to his grandpa, Keene. And Freeman was absolutely determined to outshine his father and live up to his grandpa's glittering example. As a young doctor, Freeman therefore worked maniacally hard. So hard, in fact, that he blew off all family responsibilities. Incredibly, he did not even realize his own father was dying of liver cancer until the case was terminal. And when Freeman did learn of the cancer, he resented having to take care of his father. When Freeman had to shave his father's face in the morning, he did so as quickly as possible, sometimes leaving gashes on the old man's sunken cheeks. But Freeman simply couldn't bother to feel any compassion. And when his father died, Freeman admitted feeling relief. Freeman's drive to outdo his father led directly to his work on lobotomies. In the 1920s, his grandpa got him a post at an insane asylum in Washington, D.C. called St. Elizabeth's. The place horrified him. Patients there were often locked in straitjackets all day, screaming and suffering. Some patients couldn't have beds because they'd break shanks off the frames and attack people in their delirium. Some patients could not go outside because they'd run away or hurt themselves. Some could not even have clothes because they'd tear the garments off or soil themselves repeatedly. And there was nothing doctors could do to help them. There were zero drugs, zero effective treatments. St. Elizabeth's was not alone either. Every good-sized town in the Americas and Europe had its own asylums with its own heartbreaking cases, millions upon millions of them. These patients were the most hopeless people in the most hopeless places on earth. And despite his many less than sympathetic qualities, Freeman genuinely wanted to help these people. He wanted to cure them, cure them all, a noble mission. But he of course also knew that if he could cure them all, he would go down in history as one of the greatest doctors of all time. He could outshine even his illustrious grandfather. So in 1935, when a doctor in Portugal invented a surgery that became known as the lobotomy, Freeman jumped on the idea. He embraced it with all the conviction of a religious zealot. Lobotomies became his obsession, his reason for living. I explain more about this obsession in the ice pick surgeon, but Freeman operated on some patients with, quite literally, an ice pick he'd found in his kitchen. More broadly, he was determined to make lobotomies the first line of defense against mental illness. But to do so, Freeman needed to convince other doctors that lobotomies were worthwhile. So in 1946, Freeman came up with a plan. 
That summer, there was a big medical conference in California. Freeman always loved road trips. The long open highways, the wind rushing through the car's windows, the freedom of it all. So he decided to drive from Washington to California, and while he was there to spread the gospel of lobotomies at the conference. Then for the trip back home, he made arrangements with a sympathetic colleague in South Dakota who ran an asylum. Freeman planned to teach the doctors there how to perform ice pick lobotomies so they could start operating on patients themselves. Now, it would have been just like Walter Freeman to take off on this trip to California and to leave his wife and children behind. He always put work above family. For example, in 1936, as his wife was going into labor with one child, he got word that an alcoholic lobotomy patient had escaped from the hospital and was carousing around town. Freeman promptly ditched his wife in the middle of labor to search for the man. By the time he found the patient, who was blackout drunk in a bar, his son Randy had been born. Freeman missed the whole thing. By 1946, however, Freeman was striving to be a better father, especially for his favorite son, a lad named Keen. Keen was named after Freeman's beloved grandfather, and he was a pretty sharp kid. So Freeman decided to take both Keen and Randy along with him on the road trip to California and then South Dakota. On the trip out, the nine-year-old Keen greatly impressed Freeman. At a campsite in Nebraska one day, Keen dug dozens of old animal bones out of a cliffside and proceeded to identify every last one of them, like a true paleontologist. The boy was brilliant, a worthy heir to his grandfather. Unfortunately, those hours on the road would be some of the last time father and son would ever spend together. After the conference in California, Freeman had a few spare days, and he decided to take his son's hiking. In contrast to his own father, Freeman wasn't just going to sit in a tent and read, either. He planned a rugged hike in Yosemite National Park. This was going to be an adventure. One afternoon, the Freemans hiked to the top of a majestic 317-foot waterfall called Vernal Falls. The day could not have been more perfect. The boys raced up the trail ahead of him, while Freeman hung back and enjoyed the warm sunshine on his face and the rich smell of the pine trees. At the top of Vernal Falls, Keen was thirsty. So he asked Freeman if he could crawl past the protective fence and fill his canteen in the river near the precipice. Freeman chuckled and said, sure, just be careful. He was actually proud of his son for being daring like this. Unlike Freeman's own father, the boy was not passive or afraid. Meanwhile, Freeman kept enjoying the scene. It was a warm day, but California lacked the humidity that makes Washington, D.C. so nasty in the summertime. Freeman jokingly called California the land of the dry shirt, and he was determined to enjoy every moment. But he would not get the chance. Have you ever wanted to appreciate books or movies or music from another culture? Do you have a big trip coming up and want to get beyond the tourist spots and immerse yourself in local culture? No matter what the reason, Rosetta Stone is the language program for you. Rosetta Stone has been the expert in language learning for 30 years. Millions have used it. Rosetta Stone knows what works for getting started, remembering what you've learned, and motivating you to stay on track. 
Plus, the built-in True Accent feature gives you live feedback to improve your pronunciation. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. So don't put off learning that language. Start today. For a limited time, Disappearing Spoon listeners get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem 50% off at rosettastone.com today. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. While taking in the scenery, Freeman heard something ominous, a splash. He snapped his head around to where Keene had been filling his canteen and saw no one there. His eyes darted to the water, and to his horror, he saw Keene's bobbing head. Even worse, the current above the waterfall was swiftly pushing his son toward the brink. Freeman would always blame himself later for being paralyzed with fear at this moment. He considered himself bold, a man of action. But with his favorite son's life on the line, he froze in terror. Not everyone froze, however. A young man who'd recently been discharged from the Navy heard Keene's desperate cries for help. Without hesitating, the sailor hopped the fence, sprinted to the water's edge, and dove in himself. Within a few swift strokes, he had grabbed Keene and gotten the boy's head above water. To everyone watching, it seemed like a miracle. Someone had reached the boy. But the danger was not over, not by a long shot. The current was simply too powerful. The sailor fought as fiercely as he could, grabbing branches, bracing himself against underwater rocks. But these were never more than a moment's relief. The current kept prying his hands free, and he and Keen kept tumbling further toward the 317-foot precipice. Finally, there was one last rock. The sailors snagged it and stopped their awful momentum. But between the current and keeping Keen above water, he was simply too exhausted. The current wrenched his fingers loose, and a moment later, he and Keen were swept over the edge. Freeman's last image of his favorite son would forever be burned into his memory. The terrified little boy, dangling in empty air, his face twisted with shock and fear. A moment later, his son plummeted and disappeared from sight. Given the massive churn of water at the bottom, it took authorities three days to find the bodies. Keene's skull was smashed in, which prevented an open casket. But Freeman consoled himself that, because of the head injury, death had likely been instantaneous. Still, that was about all the consolation Freeman could derive. He had encouraged his son's bravado, and look at what it had gained him. He was left in agony, and he seriously wondered whether he could ever continue in medicine. But soon enough, the old Walter Freeman emerged from his shell of grief. And when that old Freeman emerged, he grew even more ambitious than before. Rather than give up medicine, he rededicated himself to the cause of lobotomies. 
he decided he had to make Keene's death mean something, to somehow justify it. So Freeman kept his appointment at the asylum in South Dakota, and he did several lobotomies there, the first ones he ever did outside of Washington. And after that, the lobotomy road trips became an annual summer ritual. Freeman put in thousands of miles every year, crisscrossing the byways of America. In his crass way, Freeman jokingly called these trips his head-hunting expeditions. But he worked harder than ever. He once did 25 lobotomies in a single day until his hands ached from the effort. He trained other doctors to do lobotomies as well, so they could perform them when he wasn't around. Freeman never took his sons on these later road trips. But, in a way, Keene was present the whole time. Freeman charged very little money for lobotomies, since most asylums were strapped for cash. Most of these expenses, therefore, came out of his own pocket. Or rather, out of Keene's pocket. You see, Freeman had long recognized his son's talents, and he'd been saving up money for the boy's college education. After Keene's death, however, Freeman redirected that money toward the lobotomy road trips, as well as all the money he would have saved for Keene's college fund had the boy lived. Eventually, Freeman and his disciples lobotomized nearly 50,000 people, all of them ultimately financed, directly or indirectly, by Keene's death. And again, Keene's impact was not just financial. Freeman had almost given up lobotomies after the boy's death. Instead, he did the opposite and redoubled his efforts. He needed Keene's death to mean something. Twisted by grief, he imagined that at least some good would come from the loss if it gave him more time and money to focus on lobotomies. Of course, the real tragedy is that what came from that loss was not good, not at all. It was barbaric and reckless, and Freeman's ice pick surgeries ruined countless lives. Fittingly, in fact, the best description of Freeman's work came from another son of his, Walter Jr., who grew up to be a doctor himself. As Jr. once said, biting. Talking about a successful lobotomy was like talking about a successful automobile accident. Now, I said at the top of the show that I was first inspired to do this story by some postcards that I found in a book, Personal Postcards Written by Walter Freeman. And if you want to see those postcards, I've posted them at patreon.com slash disappearingspoon. Be sure to check them out. They're utterly fascinating. And beyond inspiring this podcast, those postcards shed more light on Walter Freeman's Oedipus complex. Because however personal those cards were, he sent them mostly to his lobotomy patients. He was always trying to keep in touch with those patients, partly because he wanted to mine their lives for anecdotes about whether the lobotomies had been successful. But he also considered himself a father figure to these men and women. He felt that they were the people he could save, even when he had failed to save Keen. Those patients became his real children. He certainly poured more energy and emotion into them than to his own family. All of which makes the postcards I found in that book even spookier. Because I was holding something that not only Walter Freeman touched, but that one of his victims touched as well. And I could sense the ghost of his poor dead son, Keen, hovering over it all.
This is the Disappearing Spoon podcast, brought to you by the Science History Institute. Find out more about their library, museum, and multimedia magazine at sciencehistory.org. Make sure you check out the Science History Institute's other awesome podcast, Distillations. You can find their in-depth narrative stories and interviews about everything from space junk to sex, drugs, and migraines anywhere you get your podcast and on their website, distillations.org. You can find more incredible stories from my books at samkeen.com. You can also book me as a speaker at your school or event. If you like this podcast, please support it at patreon.com slash disappearingspoon. It costs as little as seven cents per day. You can also get bonus episodes and signed books. Please spread the word to others as well, and subscribe in iTunes, Stitcher, or other places. This episode was written by me, Sam Keen. It was mixed by Jonathan Pfeffer and produced by Mariel Carr, Rigoberto Hernandez, and Padmini Raghunath. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc at parker our purpose is simple we want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently by using more sustainable practices by developing better technologies we keep moving forward with each new idea innovation and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.